Hello and welcome to Speaking of Home Guard, the eighth episode. Home Guard Associates serves as the NRA's regional recruiter. Additionally, Home Guard is a leading source for information, training, and products regarding your safety and security needs. With this objective in mind, we're pleased to present this podcast. The podcast is hosted by Rick Wareheim, the director of Home Guard Associates. This episode will focus on cybersecurity and on exploring those areas of personal jeopardy you face every day while using your electronic devices. Equal attention will be paid to practical ways you can counter these intrusions into your privacy. Our host, Rick Wareheim, director of Home Guard Associates, will be welcoming David Senta and Drew Vermette from Simple Computing as our guests for this podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everyone. This is uh, Rick Wareheim, the director of uh, Home Guard Associates, and we're bringing you our latest podcast today on uh, our Speaking of Home Guard Network. Uh, today, uh, we are going to do a show on cybersecurity, and I have termed it Cy- uh, Cybersecurity 101 uh, quite intentionally because we uh, uh, we hope to really get focused on, on some basics, uh, that people should uh, that people should be aware of, and uh, it's a very very uh, a very important uh, topic. Obviously, uh, as each day passes, it becomes obvious that it's more and more important uh, in a general sense, of course, um, but also in a very uh, specific sense uh, to you and uh, your involvement on uh, on the internet, on your phones, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's a a real and serious topic, and your personal safety as well. There's actual threats and real criminals uh, surrounding you uh, constantly. This is all assuming that you do have a computer uh, or a cell phone uh, or a tablet or you're uh, full of fun Google Home or Siri or or whatever. Um, In reality, anything that you own that uh, utilizes the Wi-Fi or is transmitting a signal um, is... A poten- is potentially making you a victim. Uh, and this is all scary stuff, certainly to me, and I'm going to assume to a lot of you folks out there. And uh, I, I've, uh, it's kind of funny because I, I told one of my uh, kids, who's hardly a kid anymore, that I was going to do a, a show on cybersecurity. And there was that pregnant pause. <laughs> and I said, well, rest assured, I'm not doing it, but I'm bringing some folks in here who, who really do know about this uh, do know about this subject and I think it was to his his great relief because uh, he's he's my one of my computer consultants that I call in the middle of the day and help you know so um, anyway the other thing about it is um, is uh, that to be honest the demographic listening to these podcasts uh, typically they're they're uh, you guys are mainly NRA members. You skew uh, demographically a little bit older. You didn't grow up uh, with, uh, with 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 computers. Uh, some of you did, but I'm just talking about a majority of the people that uh, that are probably listening to this are probably uh, you know probably middle aged and, and older. And and this is a real a real serious issue. Uh, all all joking aside. And as I said, uh, it becomes more and more serious as the uh, as the minutes pass. And our goal today is to help you understand uh, cybersecurity threats. Uh, we all face them, and 
we need to find out the best way that we can protect ourselves and uh, not become a victim as a result of things that we are doing or things that we are not doing. The guests today that I that I uh, am very happy to introduce to you are from a uh, a company uh, in Hernando County. That's correct. And uh, the name of the company is Simple Computing, and we have with us today uh, David Senta, who is the general manager of the uh, company, and Drew uh, Vermette, uh, who is the uh, vice president. And we welcome you guys. And uh, if you if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about your company and uh, and yourselves. Yeah, so Simple Computing was founded in 2016, um, and it was to solve a a broadband problem, an internet problem. We had a client that um, wanted to move their administrative offices, and there was no internet. So we came up with a solution for them by rebroadcasting wireless broadband. Um, And the company grew from there. Uh, We started to get into residential and commercial IT services, um, and basically it was just taking calls and helping people. I mean, that's what we're about. The thing that makes simple computing different from the big big box retailers is that we take a holistic approach, and and all that means is that we're here for you. We try to explain things in the simplest terms, and we make sure that from problem to solution – we're there 100% of the way for you. We're not just going to fix something, give it back to you, and expect you to, to, to learn the process. We're here to hold your hand through the whole step. You know, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of your um, listeners didn't grow up with, with the technology and the computers, but we did. Both of us did. Um, and that's the expertise that we bring. Um, my background is um, actually from movie theaters. I gained a lot of my practical cybersecurity and IT experience through helping um, a movie chain. Um, Dave has similar experiences. That's right. So I started with um, IT over 20 years ago, and um, it started like a lot of people my age, probably being the youngest one in the family that was old enough to be trusted around a computer. And this is when computers had plastic covers on them, and uh, you weren't allowed near them with drinks. And you, uh, you know, we had some version of Windows before Windows Seven, three one one, or something like that. And you become the the family troubleshooter, and you work your way through it. But what, what I was blessed with was two things: is that um, they had just started doing these computer classes a lot more seriously in school. So in school, I was able to get my A plus certification, which most people have heard of that certification. It's an entry level um, certification, in my opinion. But you know, you should have that. Um, and then there was something called the MCSE at the time. I think that they still have MCSE certifications, and a lot of our techs actually have it now that I think about it. But um, long story short with that was that um, immediately after um, kind of learning this on my own and in school uh, over 20 years ago, I became a young entrepreneur and I started my own business. And I started a full-blown computer repair business with only the experience that I had from high school. And I turned that into a, a couple of different businesses. One of them was actually computer gaming and what was interesting about the computer gaming industry when I was in, in that industry and doing um, that was that I didn't realize when I started this computer gaming business that we were going to be doing robust networks. I started my first gaming center at the time. They were called LAN centers. And uh, day number one, I had 30 computers on my network when at the time the routers were designed to handle eight devices. So there were a bunch of complications. So I'm a little bit more of a grass, grassroots IT kind of guy that learned uh, through experience and um, at that point, I didn't go hunt down a bunch of certifications because I was too busy working the uh, technology and learning it the hard way and overcoming those obstacles. So that's a little bit about my experience. I came to Simple Computing two years ago uh, to help uh, in the managerial role, but also to, to help overcome some of the new obstacles that they were starting to face with more commercial clients and more complex um, issues and helping to manage those issues, not necessarily uh, 
do the day-to-day grind, but we do have, um, we're in Hernando County, like you mentioned, and we do have five technicians um, that uh, do run everything from your day-to-day house call, you know, my computer won't turn on, or I have a virus or a pop-up, all the way to, you know, robust uh, networks with, you know, 20, 30, 40 computers and firewalls and VPNs and a bunch of terminology that I hope that we can really peg down today. So okay, that's us. Great. So it's been established you're a lot more qualified than me. So, <laughs> so we, uh, we we appreciate you guys being here, and uh, I uh, I uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners as well uh, probably have heard you guys on uh, it's WXJD XJB uh, XJB uh, a local radio station, and uh, you, uh, you I, I've heard you on there and was quite impressed. Uh, the the reason I was I was impressed is that I understood uh, most of what you guys are talking about, which I think is really the purpose of doing this today. And on the radio show, uh, you guys, uh, you know, by necessity, have a limited amount of time. It's part small part of a of a of a several hour long show. So this, I hope, will give uh, uh, us the opportunity to drill down on a lot of uh, on a lot of these issues that I think are paramount in people's minds or should be. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned about the, uh, you know, the, the original computers. And when I was doing my uh, research, in quotation marks, on, on, on for this podcast, I ran across a number of interesting things and things that I really, I knew about but hadn't gotten back to in quite some time. Like the original, the original computers, I guess like in the 1950s, uh, it was 16,000 uh, 16, pounds yep. uh, it weighed. They were the size of rooms. It took up an entire floor of mm-hmm. an office of, a, of an office building, and uh, could do and could process uh, a thousand pieces of information uh, a minute, uh, which I get, or a second. I'm sorry, uh, which I guess at the time was somewhat extraordinary. I have a hunch it's probably comical by by today's standards. So, and then um, you know, and then its original intent. Um, was from what I understand, it was I think an MIT professor of some sort, and he started looking at the possible application of this computer uh, in somewhere insofar as information sharing, and uh, largely in scientific fields, where some guy in 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 Berkeley could talk to some guy in Bonn, Germany, about you know some something or another, and you know. Great, sounded good, but I think we can all agree that, and then it was, of course, a mil- as usual, a military application quickly came on the heels of that, and, uh, uh, you know, it just goes to show how time passes and maybe doesn't pass so quickly, but I, from what I understand, it was originally thought in case, there, in case we are attacked by uh, the Soviet Union at the time and we have a nuclear catastrophe, is how can we still communicate? And a lot of the people thought, well, this this has potential that uh, we could still do communicating. <laughs> and what's interesting, <laughs> or, or is who's that left to communicate? There I was guess. also a little bit, from what I remember um, about the the late seventies, at least, is that there was a little bit of the hippie free love uh, vibe in the internet in the. Uh, uh, fair exchange of information, like free and fair exchange of information. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of also part of the birth uh, of the Internet specifically. So right. once those computers became interconnected with uh, dial-up, um, it was kind of interesting how, you, like you had said, it started maybe with a military application mindset, and then it kind of went 180 mm-hmm. into a uh, you know exchange of information, and then to where it is today, which appears to be, 
very commercialized. So. And yeah. I think I think the original application was actually called ARPANET or ARPNET. That was the military application of it. But just like with everything, I mean, technology advances in leaps and bounds and private business takes it on. Yeah. You know, I've heard before that, you know, the common household calculator has more technology in it than the, the ship that brought us to the moon. Yeah. You know, and, and that's in 50 years. So. That's incredible. Yeah. It's a great, it's an excellent segue, guys, to what, what uh, you know, I, I think I want to, a point that I want to drive home to people. Uh, from my point of view, you guys are free to comment, uh, but I, I think we've kind of established where things started, and we've also established they've evolved. And I think the scary part today uh, for us, me, uh, is what is what's it evolving into. And to me, it seems like it's it really is uh, a collection of data uh, that can be used commercially, and that's really the, the really the heart and soul of it. It's kind of, again, let's discuss this. But to me, it always seemed like if you want to realize what your jeopardy is, you have to realize really what's what's behind the curtain. Okay, and it's great, you know, that you can that you can. Uh, send messages and you can do pictures and you can you can let people know about your trips and, and blah 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 you know ad infinitum right doesn't stop what you can what you can do on it now and i think there's a there's a method to the madness okay and and we're all hooked on it now okay that that yeah i mean this is all how of how we communicate well what price do you what price do you pay for it okay and the price that you pay for it that i can see is your privacy it's I feel like it's an exchange. So you're going to you're going to choose to exchange some of those conveniences and some of those that functionality for right. your privacy. And you're going to trade it. And I've told people this all the way from the beginning of the internet when you could first download some music or a movie and you thought it was free. And I've always preached this: nothing is free mm-hmm. on the internet, even if you think it's free. Um, there's a customer somewhere, and in fact, you're probably think that you're the consumer, but you're probably actually the product. And that's yeah, exactly. where I think you're going with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's the jeopardy, and this is why I'm interested in talking about this because we, as 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 the product, <laughs> I agree, yep. uh, have to be as protective as we can. I think uh, when we when we realize that, yeah, okay, this is great, but I am paying a price for it, and the price is there's an awful lot of people out there, good guys and bad guys. Uh, this information is really valuable to them, and uh, and and uh, if if I have a mind to, I better do everything that I can to protect myself. And this is the underlying part as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you know, are we going to go back to mailing letters and uh, uh, and you know having photo albums and probably not, right? I mean, we're kind of stuck with this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think things go in reverse. I think we have to adapt, and right. I mean, we can adapt slowly or quickly. And and Dave mentioned that it, it is a compromise, um, you know. But you don't have to give everything up. I mean, we can find a way to transition into this where everyone's data is protected, even though it's, it's exposed. And that's that's what our job is. When we right. get a phone call, um, you know, I need help with this. Our job is to you know assess the security risk, assess the threat, and then educate you know your listeners and our customers on how they can best do that. Right. Okay. Okay. So we are going to, uh, the main purpose of this is we are going to talk about some very practical things about how you can, uh, how you can in fact protect yourself. 
uh, and be safe and and secure as much as possible <clears throat> while you're using these electronic devices. And when I when we talk about electronic device electronic devices, I think we have to keep in mind so just not sitting there with your laptop, okay, uh, and or, or your cell phone, okay. Those are certainly important things. But it's your it's your it's your tablet, it's your little Fitbit watch, it's your it's your Google Home, it's your Ring doorbell, it's Anything that's anything that's that's sending out a signal, as far as I know, can be picked up, and 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 can be and can be used or can be stored or can be manipulated or can, uh, it's it's that's I think that's really that's really the uh, the focus of what we're, what we're going to do. But before we get into that, uh, I thought it would be important for us to go just through some terms that are probably going to come up during the course of our uh, during the course of our discussion and make sure that we're not assuming that oh everybody knows what what that is because it's probably not the case. So I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but I'm just going to throw out. A, a word, a term to you. You guys give me just a, a brief uh, uh, definition uh, of the uh, you know of the term, and we'll go in from there. I don't want you to get into the nuts and bolts of what it means, but just basically, you know what what it is. Okay, you guys up for that? Yep. Okay. Encryption. Yep. You want to go? So encryption is just a way to to protect data. Um, it's a way to convert data into something that can't be read without an encryption key. Okay. VPN. The virtual private network. Um, the one thing that's interesting about VPN, I'm trying to keep it brief, but it is actually probably one of the buzzwords of the last couple of years, is that there's two different types of VPN. We use VPN in networking to connect basically, the short version would be two offices or two different locations and to allow that network to run as if it is uh, operating in the same building. That's more of a network VPN, but they don't have a separate terminology for that because the acronym is virtual private network. So then the other reason where you're seeing a lot of VPNs are, I guess, personal VPNs or disguising VPNs. It's where you're actually taking your computer and connecting it to another location. So that way you cannot trace the original origin of that uh, transaction. Okay. All right. Phishing. Uh, phishing is basically just searching for um, consumer data and, and using that data um, for some for some process, whether that's nefarious or beneficial. Okay. Yeah, maybe trying to trick you into into doing something that you're not that you're not intentionally doing. That's okay. Phishing. And the cloud. Oh, the cloud would be. Um, you know, basically, the way that I describe a, a cloud is it's really just a database or a repository of data that's not located in the immediate location. So you're storing your data on another server. Okay. And the dark web? So the dark web is, is, is essentially like the Internet. It's just um, not traceable, right? So it, it provides a level of protection, um, a level of, I guess, the absence of tracking that the normal internet does. You know, the internet has anonymity. cookies and, yeah, anonymity. That's what it's for. Okay. And since you brought it up, cookies. Um, cookies are just pieces of information. It's bits of information that websites leave and that that that, that track you. Okay. Uh, how about uh, let's? Well, how about hacking then? What what really is hacking? Hacking could be multiple things for sure, but what we see mostly is when somebody is in your network or doing things on your computer without your permission. So okay. you know, that could be 
multiple different ways. It's just intrusion. Yes. You know, just like someone would intrude on, intrude on your personal or private property, it's the same thing. It's just your digital property. Right. Okay, good. Okay, I think that's fine. Uh, that's, you know, that's a lot of the big big subjects that I think we're, are going to get involved in what we're, what we're talking about. And uh, to get specific now, I would like to really have you guys address uh, the, the area, specific areas of jeopardy that people are going to face when they uh, use their uh, use their electronic devices. And again, uh, I don't want to repeat myself, but bl- for our audience, please keep in mind when I'm asking these questions, um, I, I, let me backtrack a second and say this. I know I mentioned the demographic, and I think my demographic still relies a lot on the computer. Okay, and sitting at home, and they have a have their laptop and and or a tablet or whatever, and that's what's the my my kids who are both in their thirties, by the way, so they're hardly kids, but um, they find that kind of comical. Uh, they everything is on their cell phone, mm-hmm. um, and and you know uh, slowly but surely I, I see the point. <laughs> okay, but it's 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 interesting, right? Uh, so. When we discuss these things, I think, again, people need to keep in mind that uh, when we're talking about these areas of jeopardy, think about anything that you do electronically uh, because uh, any of this stuff can be, to my knowledge, and any of this stuff can be compromised to, in one form in one form or another. So um, whether you primarily use your cell or a, or a laptop or a desktop or whatever, um, this is what I would like to keep like to keep focused on so uh so the areas of jeopardy and i'm going to start off by asking you guys about about uh fake websites uh you know people are are you know searching stuff so that's i'm sorry then that's another terminology that we could throw in there that's called spoofing okay i don't know if anybody's heard that terminology spoofing but we're gonna see quite common uh quite frequently that you will receive typically an email the email will look just like, for example, the Home Depot or any other number of, of companies. And when you click that, you're going to a spoofed website. If you actually check the web address at the top, it's not going to be thehomedepot.com. It's going to be some other variant of that, something that maybe even looks so similar that it can trick 9 out of 10 people. And when they're really just hoping that you will go onto that website. It might even allow you to continue shopping. They're very, very um, good at at, at spoofing good websites and so that's definitely spoof is the term and that's really what we need to keep our eyes out for and what they're trying to do is they're trying to get your login credentials they're trying to get your username your passwords um a lot of these people who are trying to get this know that you know a lot of the consumers use the same passwords for multiple things so mm-hmm. if they can get your password for home depot for instance they have your bank password as well um and it's all about it's all about that intrusion, intruding on you and, and your property. So, you know, we have to find ways that, um, you know, we can educate consumers to, to be aware. And, and what I like to ask my customers is, if somebody called you on your landline and said, asked you for this information, would you give it to them? If the answer is no, you should absolutely not be putting it in online. Mm-hmm. So if somebody called your personal house and said, hey, I need your, your bank account number, I mean, would you just give that out? Over the phone, the answer is no, and we have to we have to take that same skepticism to the internet because clearly we've known over the past years like not everything on the internet is true, not everything on the internet is out to protect us. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to be vigilant. Yeah, that's my understanding too. That uh, that that the bad guys are becoming more and more sophisticated in this spoofing, in insofar as it uh, setting up the site so it, it 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 closely closely mimics 
what uh, what the, an actual uh, actual website it, would, would it absolutely like. does and so here's a perfect real life example if chase bank sends you an email or you're not sure that that's chase bank why would you click on that email how about just pick up the phone call uh, pick up the phone and call the bank and say hey did you guys send me this email is there some action that i need to to do and nine out of ten times i'll tell you the truth they're not going to send you an email that requires you to do things um, like login or password reset is very, very common. They're trying to just trick you into giving uh, you that password. And the truth is, is that if you give them that password, um, they're not even liable. I mean, you're they're, you're you're at fault for giving out your own information, although you were ignorant and you thought that you were, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah, and 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 a lot of the times, if you do give out that information, your credit card companies won't protect you, or your bank account companies won't protect you. Really? My mother-in-law got a phone call from someone claiming to be Chase, and they said, "There's been um, an overdraft on your account. We need your account information so we can process the refund." She gave them the account information, and whoever they, they stole thousands of dollars from her. And Chase said, "Because you gave that information out voluntarily, we are not going to cover that loss." Yeah, that's um, we hear this every day. Yeah, I every bet, day. I bet you know. Uh, uh, related, but but somewhat off topic. But I think it's important. Joe, uh, what you just what you just brought up is, uh, I think we all need to be uh, aware, obviously, of this potential problem. And and if you have a um, a relative, uh, a friend, or whatever, that you know, being a good son or, or daughter or, or whatever, and you think, boy, this might be a problem with with grandma. Okay, is and then she's living on her own. Maybe uh, is, is this would be a good opportunity to have a, a, a sit down and uh, and do the best you can. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect world, but at least make make you know people aware that may not you know they're just this isn't part of their world, and uh, you know they hit the panic button when they get the call from the in quotes IRS or the Chase Bank or pick your criminal. Exactly, and uh, and just to make them aware of uh, look uh, if this co- if this comes up, uh, uh, don't ever give out any information. Give me a call or or, or you know that would be and great. And that's that's what we tell our customers. We say if if something comes up and you're skeptical, give us a call. We're not even going to charge you. Just just call us and ask us, and we can help you. And right. let me tell let me tell your listeners the number one tell. Always look at who the email address where the email comes from. The email address because the after the at sign right. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's trying to scam Chase or Bank of America, they're never going to have at bankofamerica.com, at chase.com, because you can't spoof that. Mm -hmm. That company owns that domain. That's what it's called. It's an address. They own that domain. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a string of letters, a string of numbers. It may say chasebank at a7421.com, but that's how you're going to know. Right, right. And there's the uh, the, the, uh, the S. uh, HTTPS, the security, and then you should have the little lock icon also. And that's on the address bar, so hopefully the listeners know that we're talking about at the very top where the full web address is on the far left-hand side, there should be a little lock. It's sometimes the HTTPS is cut off because the lock shows a lock, and then it'll show unlocked if it's unlocked. But the S stands for security. Okay, which you should check out as well. Yep, right? that's that's a tell. Okay. So when you okay. when you get these emails, and you notice how we jumped right to emails because that's probably where, I wouldn't say 90, but about 75% of these intrusions come from through emails because that seems to be an easier target. Mm-hmm. Now, how much jeopardy is there in, uh, you know, because uh, speaking for myself, I mean, I'll open up my email in the morning and there's just tons of, of, of email there, right? And, um, you know, some days I'm, I'm busier than other days and whatever, and I'll go through them pretty rapidly and something will catch my eye and, I, you know, I'll just click on it. 
Okay. How much jeopardy is, is, is there in just uh, opening it up? So there's two, when we talk about jeopardy, just remember there's two ways that data can be compromised, data going in and data coming out. What we've been talking about is data going out, users that give up their data, right? right? I'm telling somebody my password. I'm telling them the bank account information. Mm-hmm. On what's coming in is what we allow into our computers. Mm-hmm. So simply by opening up an email, you're not at risk. The email client that you're using isn't going to download any information. Okay. Where you bring something in and you jeopardize yourself is by clicking a link. So if something says download this picture or, or click on this link, as soon as you do that, that's what we have to be cautious of. So um, I think, you know, 10 years ago, you know, there used to be those email chains that would go through where it would be like re, 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 forward, re, right? And what would happen is viruses would get embedded in them. So you'd download an image or you'd follow a link and your computer would be infected. Um, a lot of the email companies like Google and, I mean, they've, they've been great at catching those things. And they actually Microsoft. have Microsoft. They have antivirus in the email component now which scans for you but there's still the risk that if you download a file from an email that you don't know right the big risk today is that your computer gets encrypted you get locked out when we talk about the pipeline attack when we talk about all of these things that's ransomware that's ransomware and that comes from emails you download something and automatically your computer's encrypted until you pay for it and we actually had it happen to a client they clicked, in, they clicked an email link, their computer became encrypted, and there was nothing we can do. Yeah. We, we defined encryption before. A 256-bit encryption, which is highly, highly encrypted, is something that even government computers can't decrypt in a relatively quick manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in years. That's what they're, they're estimating, that they would have to run these supercomputers nonstop, all day, every day, 24-7 for years, just to be able to encrypt portions of the yeah. data. And all it takes is one click. One click of a link. So, yeah, we have to be really cautious of that. Okay. So don't open links from in emails from people you don't know. That's important. And even if you do know them, it could be, you know, through a spoofing attack or a phishing attack. You know, uh, I don't know how many of your listeners have, have, have seen these Facebook posts. Oh, my account was hacked. Don't accept friend requests from me. That's the same thing. You know, now it's, it's they spoof somebody else, and they're using that stolen identity to try and spoof or, or to hack other people. Mm-hmm. So the takeaway is... Big area of jeopardy is any attachment that you're that you're asked to click on, or a click link, okay. yes, or an attachment. Mm-hmm. But simply opening okay. the email isn't going to hurt you. It's it's what you do once that email is open. Okay. A lot of our clients kind of panic. They're like, "I think this is a bad one," and then we click it because we want yeah. to know for sure. And they're like, "What'd you do?" And we're like, "I promise, I didn't download anything." We want to make sure that it's bad, and so we can do that. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, the the other the other. Uh, thing I want to talk about, well, I'll talk about many things, but what's come to mind here is, uh, you know, we, is maybe even a much more basic thing is the devices themselves. And I guess primarily, uh, I'm going to kind of turn the spotlight on cell phones for the, for a minute, is that uh, regardless of, of software and, and tricks and, and whatever, is you can buy a, tel- a cell phone. Uh, that has bad stuff uh, right in the in the telephone itself, correct? So I think you're describing what we call in the industry bloatware, which is extra software that was installed on the com- on the computer or on the phone or on the tablet when you purchased it, either retail or or what have you. Correct. And some of that software is eventually deemed to be malicious, and that's what's very interesting. We have had computers come in, for example. I know we were just talking about cell phones, but this is the same thing. Um, HP uh, or a neighbor in Dell purchased from a big box store. You would suspect as a consumer that they have vetted that software. That software is on that computer for a year, and then your 
um, scan tells you that that software that's been on your computer for a year is malicious and is recording your data, and we do see that. So that's the the bloatware uh, that you're talking about. It's another key term, and it's it's very. And how, how do you protect yourself against uh, against that? I know, and I having asked a question, let me interrupt myself. Uh, I, I know there was a problem with the. Um, I forgot the name of the Chinese company, but uh, there was uh, there the was Huawei. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was uh, you know a big to do about that for a while, and uh, and and I guess it it's it's the question then like if I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a piece of new hardware, uh, is there any way of, of protecting myself beforehand? Is it for instance uh, if it's made in the are any computers made in the United States anymore? That that would be a question I wouldn't even answer. But um. there was a couple years ago, there was a big controversy because there was a Chinese company that was making Intel chips, and there was spyware um, for the Chinese government that was put on the chips. I don't know if that was ever validated, but I think that was the accusation. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's a risk whatever we do, but I, I think it's managing fear too, right? I mean, if 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 it's one of your listeners and and they run a small business, I mean, is the Chinese government really going to be concerned about what that business is doing, right? I mean, if you if you're afraid to that extent, you're never going to buy anything. Um, if you buy a decent computer from a reputable company, we're talking about HP, you're talking about Apple, um, you know, you're yeah. not going to have a computer. You're not going to have a computer that's that's loaded with with any type of malicious software. Um, I always try, especially with cell phones. Let's go back to cell phones for a minute. I always recommend to people who are like security conscious. I always recommend Apple. Apple kind of has structured their business model on protecting consumer privacy. Um, Back when the San Bernardino terrorist case happened, Apple refused to unlock the phone of the suspected terrorist suspect, not because they didn't want to help the the government, but because their corporate policy was that data is encrypted and we don't decrypt it for anybody, right? Apple also does something different that Android doesn't do, is in order to install a program on Apple, you have to go through the Apple App Store. That app has been vetted by Apple, the corporation. It has to follow a strict guideline. So it, it, it's a lot harder to hack an Apple device than it is an Android, right? But but it's still possible. I mean, you know, as as we improve our security and technology, you know, the, the nefarious actors, they, they improve their methods as well. Um, right. You know, on an Android phone, you can install a backdoor. I mean, same with an Apple, but you can install a backdoor. Um, if, if you buy your cell phone from the third party, like Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, it's very possible that somebody can access your phone remotely and get all of your data. Yeah, please don't do that. And um, what we do offer and what we do every day is we optimize a new device. So uh, this is funny whenever we have this conversation several times a week. Clients are like, oh, how much do you charge to set up a new, new device? We might say, oh, $100, we'll set up your new computer. They're like, $100 to plug it in. No, it's quite the opposite. By the time we do all of the security updates and then we remove that bloatware, and that would probably be my suggestion back to your original question, would be to remove as much software that's not necessary from a brand new machine device, whether or not it's a phone or computer. Uninstalling is great because there's nothing you're going to uninstall nowadays that you can't reinstall if you accidentally uninstall it. So uninstall whatever you don't need and start with as close to a bare-bones system as possible. When we order in computers for clients, we do that optimization as part of the deployment. And also um, when we order in, um, like, for example, refurbished computers for offices, um, we get a copy of Windows that has absolutely no additional software on it at all. It's a bare-bones copy of Windows. You cannot even get that from a big-box store because all of them get additional software installed. So Maybe... um Having heard that, uh, it's it's a good idea to keep things uh, as bare bones as possible <clears throat> as you're going along. Absolutely it's, on I the mean, phones because people get carried away with the apps. And I bet you your listeners might be thinking that as I'm saying this and we're having this conversation. I open phones. People claim to not be computer savvy, but somehow they have 400 apps on their phone installed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So maybe the the takeaway would be is uh, if you're going to download something, make sure that it's something that really is something that you need, and something that's important important to you. Uh, I would I would suspect that the bad guys, being bad guys, who are by the way are not always dumb guys. Okay, <laughs> they can be they can be some pretty smart fellows, and they're going to put stuff on there that's going to really catch your eye. They they market it. Well, and it's like, well, this looks like fun, and and you know, uh, and it gets downloaded on your device, and and bam, all of a sudden you're 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 compromised. So as tempting as it might be, say if you guys agree with me, as tempting as it might be to start downloading stuff that this really looks cool, fun, is your guide should be: Do I really need to have this on my device? And if the answer is no, just don't do it. Yeah, and a perfect example of that a couple of years ago, there was an app that was released that people were downloading that it, it made you look younger, it made you look older. Um, and really what it was was a data mining operation for the Russian government. They were they were installing this app, and then all of your data was now accessible to the Russians. I mean, it, there's all of these things that happen, right? And, and, and it does go back to, did you need that app? I mean, some some would say, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, that that's the trade-off, right? I want to see what I look like younger or older, and then the Russians can have it, you know? So... <laughs> Um, But what I do want to say, too, though, is that, you know, there are a lot of bad guys out there trying to get into your phones and downloading apps. But, you know, the companies that actually release um, secure apps, a lot of our customers get frustrated because they don't understand the password process or they don't understand the two-factor authentication. A lot of these companies are taking steps to protect your data, and banking apps are a perfect example. You know, if somebody asks you for your password... And then it says, okay, we need to text you a code. Don't get frustrated. That's there to protect you. That's mm-hmm. to make sure that somebody's not trying to access your bank account from a separate phone, somebody who's hacked. Yeah, it certainly seems to be a growing trend now that you bring it up uh, because I, uh, I, I probably the past I don't know, six months or so, I'm seeing it more and more as a two-step, a two-step verification. And I had the same, I had the same reactions. Yes. <laughs> you know, now you're asking me to do this. Yeah. I just made a good password. Why are you asking for my phone number? And what yeah. we hear every right. day and see every day as well right. is um, somebody not willing to give up, let's say, a cell phone number. But that's how the two-factor authentication is set up to send yeah. a text message. So if right. you give them your whole number or a fake number, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. You could certainly lock yourself out of your account, hopefully not your bank account, yeah. because whatever that is, it's asking for that two-factor. It's really there to protect you. And we, we all know it's frustrating to do the extra step, but it keeps the bad guys one step behind as well. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, which is a noble task, right? Because they're not they're not going away anytime anytime soon, and uh, you know you can f- you can assume uh, pretty uh, fairly that they're going to get uh, just as as sophisticated as 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 the good guys. You know, it's the nature, it's the nature of the beast, it's the nature of of criminality, right? Uh, in my other my other lifetime, uh, I, I I'm an NRA instructor, and uh, one of the things I'm certified in is uh, refuse to be a victim. And it's so funny. That's well, not funny. It's so interesting to how these things cross. You know, it's like in 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 um, old time crime. <laughs> it's like, what's the criminal looking for? He's looking for the easiest possible victim, the guy that's not paying attention, the guy that's not doing anything really. You know, to to be aware of his surroundings and blah blah blah. And now, I, all of a sudden, it's like you know that's exactly what we're talking about in cybersecurity. It's like the person that really is not paying much attention it's, to it. It's He's, the low hanging fruit. Yeah, but it's also the very busy, um, 
business customer as well. I mean, in our in our industry, we see that. I mean, when you're running a business and you're doing your best to run your business and you're getting these emails and you're getting very overwhelmed with your workday, you might click something. And the second you click it, you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. And it's it literally happened to all of us. I bet you Drew can admit, I know I can, that I've clicked stuff and I wish I hadn't. And, and it's because we're busy and that's a good problem to have sometimes. But Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's you know, true. And you have to be aware of that, that, that even though I'm busy, either personally or business-wise or whatever, this is something that, that with literally a click, uh, you can be in deep poop. And, and, that, and that's, <laughs> so, that's the truth. So the number one tool in your cybersecurity toolkit is to be vigilant. Just always be aware. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Yeah, and, the, and, and there's ways of doing that. I mean, even, even since you know, I started preparing for this, for this podcast, is, uh, you know, I, I started looking around and, 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 and you know, finding uh, you know, 10 best tips, blah, blah, blah. There's information, there's information out there that you can at least start to get, be, be aware of. And then uh, I, I'm thinking to myself that, uh, you know, just like we have our, our family doctors and, uh, you know, our favorite plumber that we call or the favorite electrician that that's who we call and all that in case there's a leak you know uh, is that i think it's the same principle would have uh would have application to what you guys do is that uh you know just to to start a relationship uh with with experts and you have them basically on call you know and maybe have an initial look-see and, uh, and 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 establish a relationship again, just like you would do with your dentist or Abs- your or, or your doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and if if they don't want to reach out to us, reach out to somebody. You know, yeah. get get informed. You know, get knowledge and and, and a, a quick computer checkup. Hey, am I secure? Is any of my data vulnerable? I mean, it shouldn't take long at all. Yeah, I think you know. I think what what a lot of people could do uh, just to save them on a practical level, time and money, is uh, they can start off by doing some research on their on their own uh, and listening to podcasts like this, for instance. Absolutely. I mean, just to get some kind of background because if you're just starting from absolute scratch, uh, this could be frustrating, frustrating to the point of, ah, hell with it. But if you, if you start to get some background uh, on your own and then go out and find experts, to you know, to uh, to help you, uh, even before you have a problem, I think is worth is is worth uh, is worth time and and, and money. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, if you do have a problem, or you think you have a problem, and I draw the medical parallel again, right? The guy that keeps ah, you know, it's nothing to be concerned about, even though I can hardly make it up the stairs anymore; it'll go away. I would assume the same thing has application with your with your electronic stuff. That if something just is going haywire, it just doesn't seem right. You better address it, and it, the, the sooner that you address it, the better. And I think what parallels the best would be on a Windows machine. Any version of Windows would be your your Windows updates. They're critically important. And I can admit that four or five years ago, there was a Windows update that spooked half of the world, and all of the computers crashed at once. And I believe. To the best of my knowledge, I don't suspect anything like that will happen in the near future. Ninety-nine um, percent of the time, those Windows updates that come through, we need to do those as a preventative and as a protective measure to protect it. Because I don't know that everybody realizes how much work that's doing. Those Windows updates are giving those security threats. Somebody tomorrow 
can write some software, some script that's going to uh, be able to infiltrate the Windows machine. And if those aren't updated, I mean, within days or weeks, they could be in every single machine in the country that's been online. It moves so fast. Okay, so how how do you uh, good point? And and how do you know uh, just putting some of these issues together is how do you know you're getting a legitimate update? Yeah, you need to know the process, and you made a good point. If you're not calling a professional to do your updates and your security updates and installing your antivirus, then at the bare minimum, please try to find a YouTube video or something to that effect. I mean, that's very helpful. How do I update Windows 10? How do I update Windows 8? We hope everybody's at least at Windows 8 or Windows 10. There's end of life for all of these products. And if you're running an older version of Windows, you're probably the most vulnerable because now you're not getting any definitions from Win- from Microsoft. And, and it's not just Microsoft. It's Apple. It's Android. They do the same thing. They release these updates and it's security patches. They've mm-hmm. detected threats. They found out how to con- how to counter them so they edit the software on your phone to protect you. We've gone into a lot of businesses that are still running Windows XP on their computers. Windows XP is not supported by Microsoft anymore, mm-hmm. which means every single security threat that comes in and can penetrate a Windows XP computer, Microsoft isn't looking for those anymore. They're not, they're not fixing those things. So your computer, every day that you're still running an outdated operating system, you're at risk, and you're at even more risk than the day before. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and there are some examples where if that machine is never online and it's just used for a specific printer or a specific piece of hardware, we might see computers that are still running DOS or still running older versions of Windows. So I want to make sure that everybody listening didn't just say, these guys don't know what they're talking about because there are some very, very rare, but we're talking about 1 in 100,000, 99% of the time you need to be on the newest version of Windows um, or those other operating systems, Android and, and iOS. And uh, with with Apple devices specifically, I think Drew can attest to this. Um, you need to make sure that you can be in the most, you know, you can't always upgrade those indefinitely. You need to be on the correct one. If you're in the Apple ecosystem, you need a professional to help you. And, and the bigger threat, too, for any of your small business clients is that if you're running an outdated operating system and taking credit cards and, and there's a there's a data breach, I mean, you're now you're not in PCI compliance anymore and you're liable for all of that. There are huge fines associated with that. And, mm-hmm. and Windows updates, all of these things are designed to protect that data. Okay. Yeah, and I think you know, uh, people besides individuals being being aware of uh, of these problems is uh, the small businesses in in particular uh, need to be increasingly aware of these of these vulnerabilities. I just happened to run across a uh, uh, a news story within the past week, and the, the 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 gist of the story was small businesses really need to be aware because you're the next target for ransomware and, 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 well, it gets ransomware in particular, is that, uh, is that they, you know, they, they're easy targets and, and the chances of getting, you know, of getting payment uh, is uh, in an uncomplicated way. Uh, might be easier for these criminals uh, than going, you know, going after the, uh, you know, the, the huge uh, multinational companies. It's just easier to go to a, a small municipality or a small business or whatever and ask for a hundred grand, and 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 it's worth it. Yeah, let me give you a perfect yeah. example. We had a very small client that got targeted with one of those attacks where okay. they opened a link and they encrypted all of the files. They wanted a ridiculous amount of money. It was thousands and thousands of dollars. This client couldn't pay that. Um, they did lose all their data. 
Luckily, we had a backup. We had an off-site backup of their data. So we did have to erase all of their computers. We had to eliminate all of the encrypted data, but we were able to restore it with that backup. Okay. And, that, and that's, a, that's something that you can do. I mean, that, that's another way to be vigilant. It's don't keep all of your data in one place. We can utilize the cloud. We can utilize a network-attached storage, which is literally a separate it's a separate box that backs up your data. So if something like this does happen again, we can just restore it back on. But there's almost no way for me to get into an encrypted drive. Once those hackers get in, once you click that link and they encrypt your drive, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. You need to have what I call a disaster recovery plan for your IT department. And the way that I have been feeling about it in the last six months has changed pretty dramatically because I always thought that defense was the best plan for ransomware. And now I've changed that in the last six months, that ransomware is probably inevitable for nine out of ten businesses at some point. I mean, I hate to say that. I don't want to be preaching doom and gloom and thinking that that's a way to sell business for an IT company. So I hope that people don't take it that way. But if they're getting into all of these government agencies, they're getting into individual businesses, they're getting into homes. I mean, I think that extortion has always worked. I think that all the bad guys have always liked that uh, strategy of I'm going to hold hold this uh, over your head and you're going to pay me or else. Mm -hmm. If that's worked so well in the past, it's going to continue to work in IT. Let's just have a plan for what happens when it happens um, instead of if it happens and deploy that plan. And the, the, the plan really consists of, at the end of the day, consists of backup. Backup, I mean, and, and there's passwords involved in that as well, like password uh, policies and procedures. and and um, But also internal policies as well. I mean, it's educating your staff on what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. So it, it, it is data access policies as well. That's something that at a, at a organizational level you have to do. And, and we do that anyway, right? I mean, when we talk about th- there are certain policies we can implement, like every business that runs computers and has people work on computers, they should have policies that say you cannot take a flash drive from home and use it on a work computer. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to have a work flash drive that stays here, that's fine, Mm -hmm. right? But if you bring something, again, it's right, information coming in and information going out. If I bring a virus from home and then plug that into the work computer, I now risk Mm -hmm. shutting down the entire operation. Right. So there's smart policies that we can put in place to defend ourselves and like Dave said, if that doesn't work, right, we have these backups, we have these alternative disaster recovery plans to prevent um, any further loss. Yeah, yeah. like in, in most things involving safety and security, uh, in and outside of the electronic world, uh, you know, preparation and, and planning uh, is, is critical. And uh, this is, from an individual point of view, I think this is something I'm, I'm going to take a guess a lot of people fail to do, uh, getting outside of the business world. But just as individuals, as things can go wrong. You know, it may not even be malicious. It just might be something goes wrong with your device. And uh, and if you if you have backup, okay, it's a problem, but it's not a severe problem as losing, as losing everything. So to, to the listeners, I'd say this is one area, if you guys agree, that you can be proactive about today is proactive and i hope that the home users will you know remember things like their bookmarks which are very important to some people um their photos everybody remembers the photos but what's the plan where are those photos stored if they're stored on the same computer then they're going to be encrypted at the same time Mm -hmm. um there's um there's going to be other things on that computer that are important to you and we need to have a plan for those individual you know, there's individual, uh, an individualized plan for that. Okay. How does, so, how, is, how does someone get on the, if they're not currently, how does someone then who's heard of the cloud, it makes sense. Uh, how does someone get on the cloud? 
Yeah, so a lot of the users are actually using the cloud already. They may not know they about it. They may not it. even know it. If you have an iPhone, a lot of your data is actually stored on the Apple Cloud. Everyone gets five gigs of data. So some of your pictures, all of that stuff's already being stored on the server. And, and they do that so that way you don't waste space on your phone. You know, it used to be you'd get a phone and then it would get full, right? I have probably 10,000 photos on my phone, but they're not actually on my phone. They're sitting on the cloud. I can just view them from my phone. So it doesn't use any space. And one of the benefits you have of that is that Apple is protecting your data. Mm. Apple is encrypting it and Apple is securing it. So if I'm storing my data on the cloud, right, on this remote server that this third party is guaranteeing me that they're going to encrypt, they have the insurance, they have all of the legality of of that data loss, Mm. the only point of entry is your username and your password. I mean, that, and that's an extreme level of a protection right there, right? They cannot get in unless they have your username and password, and that's the data going out. That's the data that you give to somebody else. So when we talk about data privacy, that's a great way to actually secure your data, and we recommend that to a lot of our clients, you mm-hmm. know? So if you're on an, if you're on an Apple device, uh, you can be pretty pretty assured that you're on the cloud already? Is that true? You, you can be using it to an extent, yeah. I mean, there are certain settings on the phone that we have to work towards. I have mm-hmm. a lot of clients that they don't want anything on their phone. They want everything stored to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. We set it up that way so they know it's secure. They know all their data is on there. And then if something happens, this is the best part, they'll also do backups. So let's say your phone breaks, your phone goes in the water, somebody hacks your phone, right? We, we can get a new phone. We can log into that cloud. It downloads and pulls all of your information. You don't lose your text messages. You don't lose your pictures. You don't lose anything. Okay. But is there is there a way getting back to my initial question? Is there a way that that the the everyman well uh, can, so not can everybody has an iPhone if he's on the cloud basically or not? yeah so what what people the common misconception that I that I hear about the cloud is what is the cloud the cloud is really which company you trust with your data because to break it down simply the way that the way that the cloud works physically is it's more than likely a computer with like redundant internet and redundant battery backups and in some cases in bomb shelters underground on very, very high-level internet lines. And that's what the cloud actually is. So you get to decide at that point, do I like Amazon Cloud? Do I like Google Cloud, which is called Google Drive or you know any of the Google products? Um, OneDrive is the one that's actually built into Windows and your Windows machine already has it unless it's been disabled. So you get to choose which company you trust with your data and the prices are pretty reasonable in my opinion and they and they integrate um, well with those particular devices. So for example, if you're on an iPhone, like Drew said, you would, you would probably choose iCloud. If you're on a Windows computer and most of your stuff is on Windows, I would probably recommend something like that's going to be simple like the... Um, um, OneDrive. OneDrive. Sorry, it slipped my mind. So that's that's going to be um, just a little bit of personal preference. All of those things are actually exactly the same. It's just who's who's doing it. And Dropbox would be another one that's very popular, and that mm-hmm. one was kind of business oriented. So I don't see a lot of home users using Dropbox, but um, they're they're all they all have nuances. They're all a little bit different. The interface is a little bit different, but they're all the same thing. They're really all just the computer in that underground bunker that that data is safe and it's redundant. And even if that shelter gets hit um there'll be another copy in another location backing each other up so just backups of backups so bottom bottom line on this particular issue is uh is is you need backup okay and and if you have backup in today's world on the cloud 
that's probably the best way that you can uh, that, that you can you can back up knowing there's other ways yes that that you can i assume you can store stuff on your thumb drive you well can, that's you can so the cloud is your off-site backup but we also always want somebody to have a local copy so that would be a thumb drive or an external hard drive okay so our goal is that you have three copies the copy that you're working on that's probably on the computer or the tablet or whatever you're working on the thumb drive or the physical backup and then the off-site backup and yeah. that's all and that's all a backup is it's an insurance policy it's mm-hmm. an insurance policy that protects you against a data breach data loss you know a, a computer failure a hard drive failure that, that's what a backup is mm-hmm. okay okay good uh the other a uh, couple of things i wanted to touch on i assume related to this is uh some of the of of uh companies out there that offer these types of services for security purposes. Uh, and I'll give one example that I'm familiar with is the uh, Norton people. And, uh, and again, to my, to my layperson's mind, they, these are all things out there that are going to help me uh, stay, uh, stay safe and stay, and stay secure. All I have to do is pay the bill <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's available, it's available to me and I don't really have to think much about it. Uh, and at the so I don't forget the point. There's even simpler things I think that people can do, uh, like with, for instance, their credit card information, with their banking information, and all that is one. And again, I'm throwing this out. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but one, keep that information off of the internet. Uh, you don't have your social security number on somewhere and in in your in in your electronic world. That still should be the most protected type of information that that you have, and uh, if it's possible that someone can can hack into your computer and get your social security number and get your your uh, credit card information and your passwords and all that business is uh, this is this is not <laughs> this is not a good thing, and uh, you just have to be aware. Your first line of defense to my mind would be don't put it don't put it in your in your electronic devices to begin with yeah and and, and that's that's the best thing a lot of a lot of our customers will use some type of like password tracker or password keeper right and i mean i think that's scary right to have all of your information in one place on your computer now if it's encrypted right if it if it requires a password to get in and nobody can hack it i mean it it, it can make your life easier i mean I'll, I'll be honest i keep all of my passwords on my iphone it scans my face and whenever i need to put a password in it uses it but i trust that apple's protecting my data and i trust that if my phone goes missing nobody can get into that because of apple's promises mm-hmm. that's not true of all of those programs on your personal computer i mean mm-hmm. it could just be a text file it could just be a file that any hacker could just open up and now they have your whole life i mean right. i completely agree with you don't be very cautious of what you use your social security for not just storing it, but where you enter it online. Right. You know, if you open up a bank site and it's it's a phishing site, and you've now put your social security number in and all of your information, they have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what I what I mean is, even if uh, you know, if someone asks for it, obviously this is this should create uh, uh, alarms inside your head that someone's asking for that type of personal information. And unless you're one hundred percent sure that it's legit, uh, I mean, just don't. Don't even think about doing it. It, it. it just okay. goes back so, to that statement. Would you give this information out to somebody asking you on the phone? Right. And back to the right. back to the point that I believe that every American is going to have a problem of some sort in the future. Even I, being in the in the you know IT industry, I had somebody file an unemployment claim for me last month mm-hmm. under my full social security number. They almost got my name right. So um, 
you know, it, it, that I'm pretty sure was not from some sort of intrusion into my computer. We don't have any breaches on any of the computers or data or, or things that I'm using. But what we're seeing is that maybe that was a timeshare that I signed up for or, yeah. or purchased or a home refinance or something like that. And those databases are breached and those are compromised. So what's the plan? You know, what's, what's the plan at that point? So. And we can see with the Experian data breach. I mean, Experian is, is, is the credit monitoring and reporting agency. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they lost user information. So kind of shakes your faith. It, it, it really well, does. I believe they're all out there is what I believe. Yeah. Um, and, and, that's, and that's the other thing. I mean, everything is out there, right? Yeah. There's pieces of information. What you don't want is somebody coming and put all of those pieces together. Maybe they have your social security number, right? But they don't have your passwords or they don't have your address. They don't have your date of birth, you know? Yeah. It, it's being cautious enough so that that information is, is out there in pieces. Yeah, compartmentalized. Once they, once they put it together, that's when they get you. And, you know, once they get your social security number, what, what are you going to do? You can't get a new social security number, right? right? I mean, right. No, and I have my, my credit now frozen. So yeah. because of that unemployment claim, I now have to jump through hoops just to do anything okay. with my banking. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. It can happen to anybody and, if it can happen to me. And I, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize uh, the, 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 the criminal element that's involved in this is just how, how, how widespread it is and how, in one sense, it's very sophisticated, right? It's very sophisticated to, to collect all of this stuff. Boy, that's really something. They got your Social Security number. How the heck did that happen? Okay, you got to, you know, credit <laughs> credit where credit is due. I mean, holy mackerel. The, the second part to that, however, is, is equally scary. Then it's like, okay, now how does it, how does it get criminalized in, in the dark web, for instance? Pretty easy. If you're part of that, if you're part of the, the dark web, I mean, uh, it's my understanding that you can buy names and, and social security numbers and credit cards up for not a lot of money. I'm quite confident those not lists are out of, there. So Not a lot of money. No, they're out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But, yeah. It, but it's all data. It's an industry. It's not just the criminals that are doing it. I mean, Facebook sells your data. All yeah. of these companies sell your data. Right. Um, you know, the government is taking steps to try and prevent that. You know, they want some type of opt-in system like they do over in Europe. But, you know, again, it, it, it's being vigilant. And like you said, just yeah. be aware of what you're putting out there. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, look, nobody is a bigger proponent of the free enterprise system and capitalism uh, than me. Trust me. <laughs> but when it comes to this issue, it's interesting you bring this up there. When, when it comes to this issue, all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is not unprecedented that the government, God help me, <laughs> that the government has, has stepped in here, you know, uh, and, 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 done some regulation because have we gotten to the point where there's such a small group of of guys that fit in this room that control an awful lot of what goes on you know in 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 the world i don't i don't know if you've ever read adam smith the wealth of nations right i mean the one the one thing that hurts capitalism that hurts the free market is monopoly and that's that's what we're faced with right now right a a group of people that have a monopoly over user data and some of the stuff uh we're getting a little off topic, but it's interesting. Some of the some of the things that I hear that that really strike me as really common sense, and you touched on it, was that uh, you you're not part of that system. You are you are out of that data collection system and storage unless you say, yeah, I want to be in that, and not universally, but with this company or this organization or whatever, and you have to individually say, yeah, I'm going to opt into, into that. And there's no, there's no uh, macro involved in this, okay? And, and to me, that, that really makes, uh, that really, 
when I heard it, I said, well, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. There's no, you know, I should be able as an individual, and I guess I'm con- more concerned about individual freedom than corporate freedom. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, is that, you know, should I have the ability as an individual to say, yeah, I'm part of that, or, or but until I tell you yes, the answer is no. And the other, the other uh, issue that I ran across that, again, struck me as really common sense, and your comments are, are, are most welcome, is the idea that this stuff that, that's out there on you and me is there forever right now. It's, it's just there. I mean, I, you know, I could, be, I could be 60 years old, and what I did when I was, you know, something goofy that I did, well... Well, <laughs> the time sequencing isn't isn't quite correct. Let me put it a different way. Something I did 15 years ago that I put on the uh, that I put on the internet. Okay, still there. Yep, still there uh, somewhere. And would it be smart to have regulation that says, okay, you know, I'll, this stuff is there, but here's my parameters. All of that stuff goes after three years, or two years, or five, whatever it is. But there there's some way of of this stuff just just uh, just uh, uh, going away. And I can't and, think of a technology that exists that can do that, so that's the challenge. The challenge but, would be... But that is the talk in the industry right now. Like, yeah. if a user is supposed to own their data, they should have the right to not only what they put out, but also what they delete, right? How long should that digital trail follow us, and should right. we control if it follows us at all? That, that, that That's a legal question, absolutely. I think it's compounded by this, by this too, is that um, there's this information that's... that's being collected on you, you know, all the time, and there it's and again your input, please, but it's being it's being collected, and it's being analyzed, and it's being categorized, and and you're 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 getting it's the algorithms, right, mm-hmm. and and you're you're getting a certain uh, identity, you know, on there, and it's something you're not controlling at all. Uh, there there's there's so something out there that's creating a you that may or may or may not be accurate. Uh, there might be a point in time in someone's life where they're you know they're doing all and it, quite innocuously, but doing all kinds of research and and website searching and all that because they're legitimately interested in it. Doesn't mean that they want to be a part of that. But I, you know, I, let me just to put some meat on it, uh, some Al Qaeda. Okay. They're just, you know, academically, they're just interested in this. They just want to find out about the last thing in the world they want to do is, is become a member. Okay, But there, there's all kinds of stuff out there where they did this and they did that. And who's to say that, there, that there's not some, somebody or something interpreting in this and all of a sudden you've got, you've got a problem. You know, you may have a problem on your hands. Just, I mean, it's just an offhand example. But my main point is, is that... You have no control over over that. There's there's something electronically that's making this your identity that may or may not be true, and it's kind of a circular way of going around this. Is that I think it's a further strong argument than for at a particular point in time. Is that this stuff just it just disappears? It just you know okay you had you know I, I had this on there for so long, but now that that just goes away. It seems fair. It only seems fair fair to me. You know I mean are, are we supposed to be 
uh, you know, static individuals that never that never change our interests or or what we're what we're doing or looking at or whatever. Well, I can agree with you that I have personally stopped researching topics just because of what I think might come out of the other end of that mm-hmm. algorithm. Um, so I probably, you know, maybe one day wanted to look into prepping a little bit, some doomsday prepping, people call it, and I might just stop that search short just because I feel like I've done a little too much. And because because I understand that I am using the Google products and I am using the Google search, and a lot of your listeners may not want to do that, but I, I want the results and I want the, you know, the efficiency of those search results, so I'm choosing to use that. But I might stop that sh- search a little bit short of where I want to go because I don't want which to go doesn't, too far. Which doesn't seem right. To me, I mean, there's, it just, it just, uh, it's, it's obviously, and it just impinges on your, on your rights as, as, as a, certainly as an American citizen, yeah. to, to go and find, in, uh, find information, and people have to be very wary of this, I think, because you know it might sound, because of your own political beliefs, for instance, or just your, your life philosophy, as well. Yeah, that makes sense. We should know about that. Well, times change. You know, and and you better be careful what you what what you wish for, because there might be another point in time where all that stuff you thought was really cool and politically correct, et cetera, et cetera, it's not so cool anymore. And yet, your record exists. Yeah, and and it's really who has access to that information. I mean, and, and we know it's the government. We know after the Snowden leak and everything with the NSA compiling the data. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about like, can the government access this data? You know, mm-hmm. this was a huge thing a few years and ago, and it's, it's still going on right now. And foreign governments. I mean, you know, we talk about the United States government, but just think about the communist government over in China. How much access they have to their citizens? I mean, they have absolute access to know everything about it. I mean, they're talking about in China a. Um, a social credentialing system where you get a citizenship score. Like they can rank you on how committed you are to the party just based mm-hmm. on what you do online. That I mean, that's, exists today. That, that exists. Absolutely. And that's scary, right? That's scary. Can you imagine if the, if the East Germans had that at the time? I mean, right, right, right. Well, now that we're on that topic, let's talk about ways that we might be able to counter it uh, as best as, as best we can. And for instance, like the search, the search engines that you, uh, that, that you use. Uh, I, Again, from what I've run across, it's like, you know, boys and girls, if you use Google, uh, you must understand what you're getting involved in. And, and Google is in, the, is in the information collection business, and, and they make their money <laughs> off of knowing what you're all about. Okay, what, what, what that's one hundred percent accurate. What your habits are, what your, what your interests are. So you got, you know, it's easy. I'm going. Look, it's even part of the vernacular. Mm-hmm. I'm going to what? I'm going to what? I'm going to Google it. Mm-hmm. As far as people's, a lot of people's thoughts go, I'm going, and and not knowing fully really what that means. So uh, I'll throw out one example and see if you guys if you guys agree is the the uh, duck duck go people. Uh, unless they're lying to people. <laughs> well, that's knows? yet to be determined. Trust me, I, I do approach these things with a bit of skepticism when somebody says that we've solved uh, all the world's problems in one uh, browser so yeah. or one browser search engine. So. And just remember, there's a trade-off too. You know, we do have uh, we do have some clients that are very security conscious, and and we would we would steer them in that direction. But just know there's a trade-off, right? Yes, your your data is not going to be tracked, but the Google search algorithm is 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 probably the best search algorithm out there. I mean, that's that's my opinion. Um, but you're going to get 
more precise search results using that, but the trade-off is they are collecting your data. Something like DuckDuckGo may be a little bit more nuanced. You may have to search through more of those results to get exactly what you want. Right. But there's also other things that we can do to protect ourselves from that. And, and Dave had mentioned earlier in the conversation, VPN, virtual private network. Right. There is a tool you can put on your computer. You know, you, you turn it or on, on your phone. or on your phone, and when you do a search or where you do something, it doesn't know your exact location. So you can search from somewhere over in, um, in Russia or China or India. You can set that and basically that masks your location that masks your online identity Mm -hmm. and some of our customers do choose to use that so it also encrypts the data coming and going Mm -hmm. which is another benefit okay yeah yeah and you know again every time we only talk we talk about a topic there's more topics than that come up right and like the location you find that and finding that more and more like i've got on some side where they want to know your location uh click here well, unless you guys tell me otherwise, I don't know why in God's name I would do that. Why, why, why do you need to know my location? You know, or will you accept cookies? Uh, no. Uh, again, I'm glad you guys are here. If you can tell me that I should tell some website that I just got on that I that I that you can yeah you can know my location and yeah you can load cookies on here no problem the frustrating it's, part for your users is going to be that there's no definitive answer some websites cookies are just fine and they're going to help that website get better and it's going to help you get your searches even faster um, other websites they're just going to use that to collect information and you don't want to you don't want to use you know those cookies yeah. uh, or allow those cookies location same thing maybe it's for example, you're shopping for a car and you accept location, you might get some great results. You might find that perfect car and that great deal because you gave them your location. Mm-hmm. And then maybe on other websites, you don't want to give them your location. Yeah, be cautious. Well, you have to you have to use your judgment. I think yeah. that that's where I'm getting with that. And just for our listeners, if you guys go to, to the Home Guard Associates uh, webpage, uh, please click the cookie, accept the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're trustworthy. Trust me. So it's yeah, it's, and, that, it's, and that is the point is that if they do trust where this information is coming from, they probably can't accept the cookies. And if it's a big mega corporation that maybe you don't uh, have as much trust trust or faith in, maybe don't accept the cookies. You know, one of the interesting offshoots of that too is is the adware and ads. You know, we always install an ad blocker on our our clients' computers, and yeah. it actually prevents the user from accessing some information. If you try to read a news article, you go to any news site now, and you have ad blocker on, they won't let you read it. Um, they make money off those advertisements on those pop-ups that come up. That news site is making money. And if yeah. you block their ads, they, they restrict your access yeah. now. So Yeah, it kind of harkens back to where we started off, to tell you the truth, is you have to realize what this stuff is all about. And it's it's not, you know, it's not uh, for for fun and giggles, okay? They, they, these are, this is serious business, and, and the business is yeah, information, and, uh, and and you really have to be aware of that. All of this other stuff, again, my own take on it, all this other stuff is just, uh, it's like a bait and switch, I mean, to put it in, in simple terms. Uh, and I know, it, I don't mean to be overly derogatory about it, but, but at the end of the day, when you think about it, it's like, I'm, I'm going to bait you in here because I'm going to offer you to do this fun stuff and this great stuff. And you're going to have a you're going to have a ball doing this, okay? And but but then the switch is. And by the way, to do this, however, I'm going to get as much out of your privacy as I as I possibly can. And that's and that's the business. And you just again, is it is it horrible? Is it is it criminal? Is it nefarious? Not necessarily, but at least be aware of it and, and make sure that what you're giving these people, 
my opinion, is at an absolute minimum. Is that, Absolutely. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, and a couple, a couple of, uh, of very particular things, and we'll touch on uh, are uh, things you hear about all the time is passwords. Okay. Again, these are things that people can do. They, you know, on a practical level, they can do today. And uh, you know, I'm sure we all ran across, and it's always comical of my, you know, what's my password? It's password, or it's it's A B C D one two three, or you know, it's like, please, uh, you know, have we gone beyond that? You know, it's like, at least take stock of the passwords that you're that you're using. So, you guys got any insight into into maybe some best practices for passwords? Um, we'd like to share those for sure because. I get it, and I grew up in a generation with pad and paper, and you had that password list under your keyboard or in your pocket in case. And in fact, I always carried my password list in my wallet with me. So it was with me. It was just as secure as my driver's license. Uh-huh. And the problem is that there's not enough big, big, there's not a big enough wallet in the world right now, right? Because I would have a thousand <laughs> passwords or more shoved yeah, in my wallet. You need a briefcase. Yeah, I need a briefcase to carry all my <laughs> passwords around. So some of the best practices would be, number one, and we already touched on this, do not use the same password for multiple websites. And everybody's going to say, well, then I have to remember all these passwords. Well, a good password you wouldn't even remember. And uh, a lot of the the professionals do podcasting like this. They'll tell you that you should be randomly generating 16 characters. I'm not going to go that far as to say that I suggest that. Um, but um, I, I would say you need to come up with more of an ex, like a sentence or an expression than an individual word, like your last name or your kid's name, and then substituting in letters for numbers and using capital and lowercase and mixing in what we call special characters, like those exclamation points, those dollar signs, those mm-hmm. asterisks. And the frustrating part can be some of the websites are not going to like that password. They're going to want it. It to start with a number or to yeah. start with a capital letter, and you just you just remember that if you're frustrated, the bad guys are going to be frustrated. So maybe it's worth taking that extra minute to remake that password and then record that somewhere and uh, keep it safe and have a different password for everything. And I, and I just want to touch on there's basically three main ways somebody's going to guess your password. The first way is by just trying to password crack, and that's A A A A A A A A. It's going to fill brute in forcing. brute force. It's letters and words. So the more um, eclectic you can make the password, the more um, scattered with letters and numbers, not making it look like a word at all, the harder it's going to be for them to guess. Um, the second is when somebody uses a password that is based on their personal information. Maybe it's their son's name with a number, or maybe it's their daughter's name. That's something where they can go on Facebook and they can see your son is named Brandon, and they'll guess your password as Brandon, and they get in. That that actually happens quite Brandon's a bit. Born oh, in 1979, sure. so they exactly. try Brandon 19 or Brandon 79, and boom, they're in. Like you said, these guys are not dumb guys or girls, you know. Um, and the third way is by you giving them your password. And, and that's really it. If we can protect you from doing those three things, and just like Dave said, you know, you have to have you have to have a randomly generated password. And you a lot there's this thing called Leet. I don't know your users, your listeners probably haven't heard of it, but it's basically computer language, and it's where you take a word and you add letters and symbols to it in order to make it not a word but still look like a word. And we've done that for some of our customers. We've helped them come up with words. We've added different like variables in the words to make them at least different, mm-hmm. um, but also they can remember the password as well. I'm just curious. Um, I haven't thought about this before, but when, when you're, you're saying that they're you know trying to guess the uh, guess the password, that thing, but, I mean, are they, are they literally sitting there thinking of this? I assume, isn't there some, maybe some... Some program that they're, they're, yeah. that they're using? It's a combination of those two things. They'll start the algorithm, and they'll let it run, and it'll test those passwords over and over and over again. And then they'll go out and do some research and change the algorithm. 
and those will just run continuously. Okay. So eventually they, they just – it's not worth it, I assume. Eventually if it's a good enough password, it's just that ah, it's not it's, worth they're it. They're not going to get it. And here's yeah. the thing. When, when I was talking before about customers getting frustrated because of all of these lockouts, if a bank says you can only do three passwords and then you get locked out, that's mm-hmm. the reason. They're trying to prevent those brute force attacks. Okay. So sometimes those things that really frustrate us are there to protect us, as frustrating as they are. Okay. And uh, uh, fi- uh, firewalls? So firewalls are a very important tool. Um, you know, your Windows, your average user um, using a Windows PC, the firewall's built in, right? That That's sufficient. Um, the firewall is going to prevent people from getting into your system. Um, you know, there's, there's all types of things that go along with computers that are overly complicated I don't want to get into, but yeah. there are ways that without a firewall, somebody can get into your computer and steal your information, right? Windows firewall does an okay job. From a business standpoint, we need to be more vigilant. Um, so... One really interesting thing we can do with a firewall is we can actually blacklist every single person. It's called whitelisting, where the only people that you want to get in that system, we allow in and every single other piece of traffic is blocked. And we, we typically do that with customers that are hosting their own phone system. You know, f- you know, phone, list, phone lines are not um, landlines anymore. You know, it's all computer-based. And that's, that's a very easy way that somebody can get hacked. Like, we can put in a firewall and only let one house get into that phone system or only let one phone out mm-hmm. there's so many things we can do firewall can be your best line of defense from a business standpoint from somebody accessing your system if it's set up right okay you know um you mentioned you mentioned uh, that the telephone the telephones and i in my business i still have a hardwired phone uh in there and quite intentionally i mean in my day-to-day yeah i have my cell phone just like everybody else but i in the back of my mind and your input, please, is is I don't for what it's costing me, which is not much at all, to have that uh, to have that old fashioned hardline phone, uh, to me makes a, makes a good deal of uh, of uh, of sense, and uh, uh, you know if it was really expensive, you know I probably to be honest probably wouldn't have it, but it's bundled bundled with other stuff, and so it's fine, uh, and one. One of the one of the things that that came up recently, uh, within the past couple of days, is I heard a news story, uh, legitimate news, <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. and it was like they 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 are running National Guard units are running uh, uh, special uh, training programs now for what if scenarios, and the what if scenario is a, a an attack on our uh, on our uh, on cyber, cyber attack. Uh, from a foreign country uh, that would literally go from the west coast through the through the east coast that would wipe out uh, all the all the communication that's that's vulnerable to it uh, obviously uh, electricity uh, obviously um, uh, internet. Uh, the internet uh, I guess like our water supply has a lot of has a lot of uh, things involved in it uh, computer wise where it's it's treated in a certain way, but it's all done electronically is the bottom line. So in my own little mind, I'm thinking, well, there's one thing I might be able to do, and that if the cell phone goes kablooey, uh, I still have this landline that, uh, that, 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 that should work. Okay. Well, let me tell you something that might surprise you. A lot of your users who think they have a landline actually don't have a landline. They've done away with those copper lines, and your, your landline <laughs> is actually voice over IP. It's, it's working through the Internet. So in, an, in a situation like that where we are attacked and there is a cybersecurity um, issue with our infrastructure, those phones would go down. 
Yep. And then and then on the other hand, if you really are on a copper line, here's another vulnerability or, or really an issue that has arised most recently. Those lines are now very, very old. You're not going to find one of those copper lines that aren't over 30 years old, and they have insulation on them. And some of our clients have had issues in the summertime, and we asked them, why only in the summertime? And the phone company said, well, those wires get hot, and they expand, and then they start shorting themselves out, and those phone lines aren't Yikes. working. So we're getting to an end of life. And in this area where we're at in the Hernando County area, um, those copper lines are being abandoned. And so if you were to order new service on those copper lines, you won't be able to get new service on them. If you have them now and they're working well, they are a good um, you know, a, back, uh, a backup plan, and that's, that's, a, that's a great way to to look at it, but we're going to have communication problems in the future. I agree with you if uh, if everything hits the fan. Yeah. I guess I'm not so smart <laughs> with, with my landline. It's, it's working for you now, <laughs> but I can't guarantee it'll work forever, so we will have to adapt and overcome. Okay. All right, guys. Um, this has been terrific. Uh, I, I, I really appreciate all your uh, all your time, and uh, if you don't mind, uh, just uh, for our listeners, uh, I, I have a hunch uh, we're all going away with probably more questions than uh, than answers. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, you have to start asking the the right questions to get the right answers. And we hope that it's been educational because that was the goal. Yeah, for sure. So tell uh, again, remind uh, please remind everybody about how people can uh, can get a hold of you. If you want to give a quick quick synopsis again of why they should get a hold of you, I wouldn't. You know, that would be a good thing. And then the uh, you know just the best way to to, to uh, get in contact with the you. Best, the best way to get in contact with us would be to go to the website simplecomputing.com. It's not simply computing. It's simple s i m p l e computing.com. On there, you'll see the phone number three five two. 398-4100-352-398-4100, and they can call in. Um, nine out of ten times, we'll answer the phone. We've got plenty of people in the office, but they are coming and going out of call. So if you leave a voicemail, that works well. And what we can help everybody with is, you know, any, any and all IT issues, and that includes some smart devices. Unfortunately, we didn't talk much about those ring doorbells and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. It's not an unlimited amount of time today, but we help set those up, secure those, and secure the network that they all run on. We do that every day. We can help set up new devices, and we can definitely help with any uh, problems that you may have in regards to maybe pop-ups or viruses or malicious software. And that's that's the smallest problem to the largest problem. We do residential house calls. We do business calls. I mean, we have agreements with with companies where you know they call us twenty four seven and we provide their business support. You know, we we protect their network. We back up their data. I mean, we are a full scale IT corporation. Mm-hmm. And anything you need, any problem you have, we can solve. Yeah, that's that's terrific. I I repeat myself too. Is I I can't help but think what a good idea this, this is to have. A relationship with with someone like you guys, uh, where you know you're you're preparing, okay. And I I know I mentioned this before, but uh, the best analogy I can do is like your family physician, you know, where where you know that's my doctor. And if something goes amok, if I'm not feeling right, or, or you know, uh, I, I've got somebody to call. I'm not looking in the phone book now and and throwing a dart and and you know calling somebody up, but to at least get a relationship started. Uh, I'd assume you guys would have no problem in at least shooting the breeze with somebody and uh, initially and you know this is what I've got in mind and what it, well, you know what do you guys what do you guys think and I think this is a this is a good uh, this is a really really good idea for people and uh, uh, I, I like I said I <clears throat> I knew a little bit uh, but it doesn't take it doesn't take a heck of a lot of effort to to really uh, increase your knowledge it's out there. 
and uh, and you just have to you have to get the ball at least get the ball rolling and not just assume that you know that everything is always going to be uh, is going to be okay and i, I would agree uh, i would agree with you 100% is that now that we you know i i I'm becoming aware of the amount of time we've we've spent on the podcast, which has been a lot. But but to tell you the truth, I've got a dozen more things that I could ask you guys about. Uh, not the not the least of which are these other devices that are really it's scary, right? Once you get once you get into it, like your little like oh, here we go. <laughs> By way of introduction, like your Google Homes and all that stuff, and uh, I just want to make people aware it, it's becoming. Uh, I think. Uh, an absolute fact to me is that these are listening devices, and 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 you have to be aware of it. Just because you're not saying something, doesn't mean that that no one can hear something. I want to I want to leave okay. you with one more term, and it's called Internet of Things, and it's what you're talking about. Okay, we are connected in ways that we don't even realize. It's our car, it's our refrigerator, it's all of these things communicating. Yeah. Um. And and the biggest thing for your your listeners to realize is like. We need to be vigilant, but we also don't need to be afraid. These are things that can make our lives easier yeah. as long as we're aware of what's going on and we're yeah. smart about it. Yeah, and, and like, we, like we've stated a couple of times, uh, it's not going away. That's the thing. It's, it's not going to go back to what it was. And so you better start adapting and getting some knowledge involved in this and, and protecting yourself as, uh, as best as you can. And like anything else in life, if you're not an expert in it, the experts are out there. And, uh, and you, need to, you, know, you, need to, you need to find them. So I thank you guys for coming in. It's been uh, it's been very enlightening and I, I, I appreciate it. And it's been fun. Uh, hopefully our uh, hopefully our listeners have gotten something out of it. Uh, hopefully they'll give you a call. As usual, like I always tell, tell you folks at the end of these things, please, if you have any comments or questions, if you have uh, ideas for future broadcasts, uh, podcasts, uh, please, uh, you know, please let me know. Uh, uh, and we do have our uh, we do have uh, uh, our affiliates all listed on the page that you've that you've gotten the podcast on. Please uh, please visit them as well. Please keep up your uh, NRA uh, memberships. It's critical at this particular juncture that you uh, that you do. And uh, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and will forward it to anyone you believe may find it of interest. Encourage you to, to visit the Home Guard Associates webpage at homeguardassociates.com as well as our affiliated organizations. Your questions, comments, and suggestions for this episode, as well as any past and future podcasts, are sincerely welcomed and appreciated. Stay aware, prepared, and trained. <laughs>